Welcome to Momentum Church. We're going to get into our, sec- our third week in this series on Tabernacle. And as I've been telling you, we wanted to do this. I wanted to do this during the season because this is the High Holy Days. We have finished those High Holy Days in the Jewish calendar and Right now, we're in the time of what's called the Feast of Tabernacles, which is that Sukkot. It's that time where um, Jewish people will build sukkahs, little tabernacles, and each night, they'll have friends and family over to the house for the week and a half and be able to just take time reflecting on God's presence with them as they journeyed from Egypt to the Promised Land, those 40 days. During those 40 days, God always wanted them to know his presence was close. How many... At times, be honest with yourself, it feels like God's presence is far from you. At times. I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, conceptually, we know. You know, it's like our brain gets it, but deep in our heart, it's like, man, I feel like the ceiling's brass. My prayers just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. I feel dry. I mean, I feel empty. Well, this 40 years of wondering, God didn't want them to, in their wondering, to wonder about his presence. And so he created a couple means that they would know he was with them through that journey. And so one would be the cloud by day and the fire by night. So they would literally see this manifestation of God's presence. And when it was time for them to go, that cloud would move or that fire would move. And they'd pack camp and they would follow and go. Man, wouldn't it be easy if it was like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Should I marry this girl? And you see fire burn her face, and you know, no, not going to marry her. You know? Should I? <laughs> Whatever that decision is. It's just like, yeah, you know, cloud rests over the business you're supposed to go and work at. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go work there. It'd be so easy. But what God did, he created a priesthood at that time that would allow those priests on behalf of the people to become even more intimate with him, to become closer and closer to him. And the process of this was, called the tabernacle. He created a tabernacle in the Aaronic priesthood that would go on behalf of the people, and those priests would draw as mediators towards the presence of God on behalf of the nation, all right? And they would come in. And and we saw already that there was the outer court. Today, we're going to be moving into the inner court, also called the holy place. And this is a picture of a progression toward intimacy with God. Why are we studying something 4,000 years old? Why are we studying this? Because it shows us symbols that lead us toward a deepening relationship with God, a deepening relationship that is fulfilled through Jesus. Everything that we see in the, in the, the book of oh, the Old Testament, rather, and everything we see in the book of Exodus as it's describing tabernacle, all those things are pointing to the person of Jesus. If you missed the first week in this, we kind of did an overview of all the pieces of furniture that are in the tabernacle and let you see how you can see Jesus in all those things. And so the last few weeks we've been walking a little more in depth through those pieces of furniture and today we'll continue. And there is so much. I told you that first week that there's only three chapters in the Bible that deal with creation. There is 50 that deals with how the tabernacle was to be established and built and everything how it was supposed to be created. It was very important. I think it just speaks to us in the sense that we become new creatures, right? Like that's a creation process. When you become a believer, you go from an old man to a new man. You become a new creature in Christ and that happens, but that creature's not just supposed to be, okay, here I am. 
No, that creature grows. That creature moves forward. That creature develops and, and, and becomes who God wants that creature to be, right? And so I think it's kind of apropos that the tabernacle takes so much, you know? Why? Because we become new believers. It doesn't take long. Jesus did the work. But man, becoming like Christ, you know, trying to strive to be like our Savior, how long is that going to take? Yeah. It's going to take a lifetime. And man, you're not going to do it apart from the presence of God. You know? Stop trying it. It's, this is not an outside-in faith. Amen? I'm just going to will myself to do better. How many's ever tried to will yourself to do better? Yeah, I mean, people here know I used to be 300 pounds. Trust me. I know what it means to try to will myself to do better. But the buffet be calling. You know what I mean? I'm, t- I'm just being honest, you know? It was funny. Amy's parenting class yesterday, she did a game with chopsticks and dice. And you had these five dice, six dice, something like that. And you had to take them and stack them using chopsticks, you know? And I thought it was great because Chris Cavamani won the game. He's Asian. Of course he won the game. So I go over and I grab his chopsticks and pop, pop, I take them all apart real fast. I put them back up. And he's like, I think that was faster than me. I said, lots of years at the buffet. I know, I know how to use those things. And so, yeah, so you will. No, no, this isn't an, an outside in. This isn't a behavioral modification. This is all about relationship. It's about coming into the gates of the Lord, the, the presence of God, and allowing that intimacy to change us from the inside out, you know? And so this whole series is rooted in that, that we're to draw near to God's presence. And I believe the tabernacle and those portions of the the furniture especially point us toward what it looks like to a growing intimate relationship with God. And so I want us to stand to our feet as we always stand to honor God's word. And I just want you to hear how beautiful this passage is. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? This is that holy place. Who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? It says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And I love this next little piece. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Such is that generation. A generation of those who will seek God. A generation of those who will go to the high holy hill. A generation of those that have a desire to have clean hands and a pure heart. Amen? A genera- I want you all to be that generation, amen? I think a church full of people wanting to be the Jacob generation, a generation like Jacob, man, will change the world, amen? Well, what's that mean? Jacob was the guy that when he went to Peniel, which means the face of God, when he went and had this encounter with God Almighty, he left it so changed he never walked the same. If you know the story, he left it with a limp. You know, he was marked by that experience. And I believe when we have a heart to go into intimacy with God and we go in and we strive, God, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, I'm going to seek your face. I want, I want an intimate relationship. I'm not just satisfied with my salvation, although it's awesome. Hell sucks. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I'm not just satisfied with that. You know, Lord, I want something to where you mark my life. Where, where, where it's just a, there's a difference about me, not for my glory, but that you might be seen. 
goes on and says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. And I love this. It kind of goes into a worship. That the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts is the king of glory. Amen? Man, I don't know, that gives me chills. That's who we worship. That's who we have intimate relationship. That's who calls us to his high holy hill, a holy place. That's what we're going to look at. This inner court is called the holy place. That's who calls us to that place. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And because of all that, or in spite of all that, he wants a relationship with you, an intimate, growing relationship with you. Man, I I, I don't know about y'all, wouldn't that... Mean, I know y'all still standing. I stand for two services. <laughs> wouldn't that mean, if you have this invitation, like, wouldn't that mean, like, you'd want to maybe prioritize some time for that invitation, you know? I mean, if we really believe that he's this king of glory, strong and mighty, I mean, if we, like, wouldn't you prioritize some time? Yeah. You would change your agenda a little bit, you know? Maybe, maybe sacrifice some stuff. Yeah, every one of us would. That's a reality. That, that's the invitation that you have every single day. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we work through this today, I ask that you lead us in your precious name. Amen. Have your seats. Our working verse for this whole series has been Exodus 25, verse 8 through 9. And it was speaking, God was speaking to Moses, and he's telling him this pattern and how to make the tabernacle. And he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God doesn't want to be distant. God wants to be close in proximity to us. We know sin broke that proximity. And so God has established a way here in the Old Testament, and we see Jesus fulfilling that way in the New Testament for us to be restored to intimacy that God may dwell in our midst. And man, I think that's awesome. And that we may dwell in his presence as well. And he says, make me this sanctuary exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. And it's because these things had a purpose. Just to remind you a little bit from week one, the tabernacle was the means by which God's people at the time could have access to the presence of God. We know Jesus is our means now, but that's how it was at that time. And he wanted to dwell with them, and he wanted them to have a relationship and dwell with him. And so the pattern of the tabernacle all through points to Jesus, and it points to our progressive intimacy, our progression in relationship with God, all right? 1 Corinthians 3.16 kind of flips this thing a little bit because in that passage of scripture, it starts to say, wait a second, the temple of God now in the New Testament with Jesus coming on the scene, the temple of God isn't a building. The temple of God is a believer. Not a building, but a believer. So you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides within you. So all those types and shadows that we see in the Old Testament are things that are applicable to our personal life. And we'll get into this a little bit more as I go on today. It's applicable to our flesh. Everybody say outer court. It's applicable to our minds. It's applicable inner court. It's applicable to our spirit. You know, holy of holies. It's applicable, all right? To us as a, as a tabernacle, as a temple of the Lord. And so that's, that's the first thing. It's a means by which we come into the presence of God. And then, like I said, the second thing, the tabernacle is a picture of how we've been given access to God through the person of Jesus. Now, 
What's cool about the New Testament is we're a lot of things. We're a bride. Don't I look pretty? Yeah, we're a bride. We're a bride. I mean, that's neat. We're a a, a house. We're a temple. Here's another one, my favorite, I think. We are priests. Amen? Not like Domino Pizza, Manicani, Minestrone, Fettuccine. Not like that. Like, we're priests, okay? Like, but we are a royal. Watch what this says in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that picture of the tabernacle back in the old, you are the building of that tabernacle, all right? But you're also the modern-day Aaronic priesthood of that tabernacle. And there's things that we can see as we put ourselves in the feet of the priest that God shows us as we look at these pieces of furniture as well. When it says that you're his own special people, I always like the King James on that and New King James. That word special in that translation is peculiar people. Amen? Al, right? Yeah, yeah. Peculiar people. (laughs) Hippie. That's what he goes by, hippie. And, uh, And I like that, that we are God's peculiar people. You know, peculiar does mean special, but it can also mean odd, right? That, that's a little peculiar. It can mean unusual, not that Al's unusual. That's a little peculiar, you know? Man, that's who we are, though. We're not like just everyone else living in the earth. We have been called separated, chosen by God, a royal priesthood. You ever feel bad about yourself? You know, I almost said something, that'd be so stupid. I'll just say to you, come on, queen. King, no, you're a royal priest. That's who you are. A chosen generation, separated to God for his purpose, special, peculiar, different, odd. Like, not like everybody else in the world, not just going by our base physical desires. That's peculiar. Oh, just do what you want to do. I can't. I'm a peculiar person. Think what you want to think. I can't. I'm a peculiar person. I'm odd. I got, I got to think what the words, what the word, my Bible's down there. I got to think what the word says, you know? We're peculiar. We're set apart, holy unto God for a reason. Why? Because we are those modern day priests. So we're a people separated for a purpose. And I'm going to show you real quick here one of the parts of the purpose of God here for the priesthood was in Ezekiel 44, 23, and it was speaking of a resurgence because the priests had lost their game. They had lost what they were supposed to be doing. And there's this prophetic resurgence, this challenge to them to get back to where they're supposed to be. And I'm telling you, there's a challenge to us as God's chosen priest in 2023 to get back where we're supposed to be. And this is what it says. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane. I'm not saying this is a salvation matter. I'm saying God saves you, right? But I'm saying sometimes his chosen generation, his chosen priesthood, aren't a generation that seek after him. They're a generation that excuses their sin. Often we're a generation that excuses why we don't have time. We excuse a lot of things and that, that may be profane in our life. And, and y'all know I'm not a clothesline preacher. You ever hear that term before? We got a lot of newer people in church here, but clothesline preacher, like, like don't wear this, don't wear that, you know, better get that skirt up, you know, um, or down. I guess you don't want to up. <laughs> what kind of church is this? No. <laughs> Preacher's like, get your skirts up. <laughs> no, that's not good. No. Stop being profane. Okay. 
So uh, the difference between the holy and the profane, and I love this, as these priests caused them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Guys, there is something about holiness that's important. There's something about going toward the intimacy of God. I'm not saying your salvation is in check here, okay? But I'm saying your relationship as a priest of the kingdom, that sense of intimacy with God, that is on our shoulders. God gives us access. Who shall ascend unto the holy hill? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. Amen? And we have a desire, we should have a desire to grow in the intimacy and relationship with the Lord. And there'll be things as we go toward him that he'll put his finger on, that he's calling out of our lives. And that doesn't change. 31 and a half years of ministry now. Still, there's things he'll be calling out of my life as he calls me closer and deeper into a place of intimacy with him, right? And so there's this act of being separated unto God that this tabernacle portrays. This, this act of being separated unto God through relationship, not outside in, I'm going to do better. No, no, through relationship. You know what? In relationship with Amy, as I became closer and closer to her, I just begin to automatically, naturally please her more. You know, like I know what she wants. I know, I know she likes if I take the trash out that I put a new bag in, you know. It's, it wasn't just, like it was just out of relationship. Just like I, things that you just learn along the journey, right? It's like that with God. As you just have a relationship with him, you start to just sense his leading and relationship and it starts to change who you are. So this isn't just some Old Testament teaching on tabernacle. No, this is modern. This is like what God's doing right now in us as he's separating us through relationship. And those seven parts of the furniture, next week, Pastor Corey will be finishing those last parts of the furniture. Why? Because I don't know if I'll be able to walk. So next Saturday, I'm doing my 50K ultra marathon. Yay. Please help me, help me. Help. I don't know. We're going to see, man. So I ran my first mile in March. Thought I was going to die. And so we'll see what happens next Saturday. But I asked Pastor Corey, I was like, you got to preach because I might be limping, crawling. I don't know. I'm going to be here, but I may, I may not be able to think straight after 31 miles, but we'll see. So, um, <laughs> but he'll be finishing. But, but we, I want to give you just as we walk toward where we're covering the inner court today, let me just go back what Pastor Brian said last week. So he started with the altar of sacrifice. We know Jesus was the supreme sacrifice for our sins. That there was a, a picture of sacrifice and substitution. That animal that was slain upon that altar was a substitute for the sinner, for the sins, for the person. They should be the one that's shedding their blood, but they can't. Some substitution had to take place. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. There's no covering, right? And so that sacrifice and substitution, that's what the altar of sacrifice speaks to. We know Jesus did that for us. And then Pastor Brian began to look at the laver, where they would come and they would wash I love how David would say, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. You know? And so before they would go into the holy place or the inner court, they would wash in the laver. And that's not baptism. It's a picture of the word of God being cleansed by God's word over your life. That's what that's a picture of. And we know Jesus is the word of God. So we go from sacrifice and substitution, which is beautiful. That's the outer court. 
That's the, the altar of, of sacrifice and the laver. And then we begin to walk into the inner court, you know. So you have sacrifice and substitution with the sacrifice, the altar sacrifice. You have sanctification with the word of God as God's words begin to sanctify or separate you as holy to God. Then you walk into the inner court. What the inner court speaks to is a daily walk. Every day, the priest would make their way that were assigned for that day into the inner court. It was a daily walk. Your walk with intimacy with God isn't something that you visit on Sundays. Amen? Your walk with an intimacy with God is something that you experience daily. Scripture would say, pray without ceasing. Well, how's that possible? It's just an ongoing thoughtfulness that God is there with you because he is. It's an ongoing thoughtfulness. Wouldn't it be rude to be in the car with your spouse and not talk to them? You know what I mean? It's equally rude to have your spouse want you to talk to them for 10 hours on a whole drive. Just saying. That hasn't happened to me. Just saying. No. <laughs> Amy loves like engagement, man. We're driving. It's like, baby, it's been 10 hours. I just need to listen to a podcast. No. Don't tell her that. Okay. <laughs> and so there's this sense of, of this everyday opportunity to be able to come into the presence of the Lord. And, and we call that abiding. That word abide means to dwell. You know, it can mean to stay and remain, the Hebrew word or the Greek word for it, to so stay or remain. But we also know abide means to dwell. It's not something to visit. It doesn't say visit, it says dwell. And the scripture I'm thinking of is John 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word. You see that? That's the outer courts. Already you're clean that I've spoken to you, so now there's something else. You've been clean, that's out here, that was the, the labor and the sacrifice, but there's something else. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. That's the daily walking into the holy place. That's the daily interaction with the Lord. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. The fruit is the outward expression of what's going on on the inside of that, 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 that tree. That's all it is. It's, it's not, and you don't get fruit from the outside in. No, no. All the nutrients, everything that caused the fruit to happen, happened from within. Again, this isn't about behavioral modification. No, this is about setting time. You've heard me say it a hundred times, if not more. You have to have um, a set of time with God in mind, you know? It's about setting time with God in mind. And when you do that, you start to abide with him. When you're mindful of his presence through the day, you're abiding with him. You're being thoughtful, and you're encouraging that relationship. And guess what? You'll start to hear his voice. You'll start to sense his leading. You'll start to, to experience what it means to be in a true relationship with someone, with the Lord Almighty. And so it's an invitation to go beyond being satisfied with what he's already done, that's the outer court, into what he desires to do. Isn't that good? It's not like we just look back on our salvation, oh, I'm glad you did that. No. God, you have so much stuff you want to do now in my life. I want to understand you more. I want to know you more. I want to understand myself more. I'm going to get to that. I want to understand who I am and the things I need to work through. That happens in 
the inner court that happens in the holy place. So that invitation is to go beyond just being satisfied with salvation and move into to looking for what he wants to do in and through you now that you are saved. Right? And that only happens by abiding in his presence. You know, because of that, and I have a lot of scripture today, because of that, we can, as Hebrews says, 10, 19 through 23, we can come boldly. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, you catch that? The holy place is by the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus took care of us in the outer court. Now we can come into the holy place with confidence. Well, I can't go into intimate relationship with the Lord. I just feel so undone. I know, that's where the undoing gets, did, gets fixed. Not like all that stuff that you feel, that's not keeping you from. I mean, the enemy would love that imagination to rise up, that vain thought that I can't go after God because of this, this, this. No, no, go after God because of this, 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 this. You've been saved, and now in this place of the holy place, God begins to do work. You can have confidence to come in, not because you're perfect, but because the blood of Jesus has already covered you. It says, the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and this is that curtain. This is, as you come into, there's a curtain, and I believe it says curtain there because the curtain was what kept you from the outer court to the inner court. The veil, which we'll look at next week, is what kept you from the inner court to the holy of holies, okay? The holy place to the holy of holies. And this says the curtain. So you, you, you've had that, that cleansing through the blood of Jesus, and he opened for you a way through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Sounds like old, sounds like the outer courts. We're coming now into the inner courts. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In the inner court, we're going to see here in a second, this is that soulish area where we have to hold fast because our minds want to lie to us. Our minds want to tell us what truth, what it wants truth to, to be, not what the word says. And so we find here in this holy place where that starts to change. Our senses, if you will, start to change in that holy place. And yes, there's an evil conscience. Yes, there's bodies that need to be washed. All that kind of stuff. Out here, God's dealing with that. And then as you go into relationship, he starts to deal with all the other things as we hold fast the confession of our hope, the word of God and who Jesus is. We hold fast to that. Why? Because that's, you'll see here in a second, that's where the showbread is. It's in the inner court where God's word is, if you will. The showbread. We'll get there in a second. All right? So, I want to go back to last two weeks ago with the outer court, the body. Remember, this is the place where your world consciousness is dealt with, you know. This is the place out here where your natural senses of sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch are dealt with. Out here, we have this driven-based nature to do what we want to do, right? And Jesus comes, and we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We, we become new people, the problem is, we're new people with some old ways still embedded, right? We're, we're redeemed. We are covered by the blood. We are saved. But man, we have some things that on the inside of us, our soulish person, that needs to be developed, that needs to be changed. And so that's the inner court. We see an invitation to go from the outer court into the holy place. Doesn't it make sense that the enemy would want to disqualify you from ever feeling like you're okay to get into the holy place? Yeah, totally. Open my Bible, and just the opening of my Bible, you know, you're like, man, I open it, and I just feel, who am I to read this holy word? 
I go to pray. Who am I to speak to God? Who am I to? I'll tell you who you are. You're the righteousness of God. You are a royal generation, a chosen generation that's a priest. Amen? Weird. Peculiar. God's called you to himself out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who you are. But the enemy would love to keep you in the outer court, just satisfied with salvation, and going, I hope I could change someday. I'm going to try to change. I'm going to try in my flesh. Remember the outer court's about, I'm going to try to change. No, no, no. Get in his presence. Allow him to begin to change those things. So when it comes to this, we have this invitation from the outer to the inner court into the holy place. And what's neat, when the, the, the priest would go from the outer court, they just sacrificed an animal, right? They've washed their hands. They have stuff on their bodies. Sacrificed an animal, not just blood. I mean, they were very careful with that, to be quite honest. But they were uh, soot and everything they would take to create a fire for the sacrifice, right? Like all this kind of stuff. So they would literally change their clothes, putting off the dirty, and they'd put on clean garments and walk into the inner court. That's why we can have boldness and come before the Lord in that place, of that holy place, because we put on ourselves clean garments. Whose are they? Jesus's. It's, we're dressed in his righteousness, amen? Our righteousness is like filthy rags, but we're dressed in his righteousness. And he invites us to make that change, to come in. You gotta be purposeful if you're gonna put on new clothes, right? Nobody got up today, got out the shower, and walked out the front door dressed. That'd be really cool if you could do that. Elon Musk should make something like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he should, he should. <laughs> but no, you had to be purposeful. You had to think through it. You had to make decisions. You had to, you know, am I wearing these shut-up shoes or am I wearing these comfortable loafers? You know, whatever, you know. I know, Steve, it was a hard decision. I know, I know. I'm glad you picked the, the loafers. No. So, so we go into the inner court. And in the inner court, being purposeful, going in, that deals with our soul. That's self-consciousness. I mean, that's probably the biggest battle there is, isn't it? dealing with our mind. It's dealing with the five intuitive senses, not the five natural senses left in the outer court. Now those five intuitive senses, senses of reason, imagination, affections, what draws us, our memories, both good or bad. A lot of times in that place, the Lord begins to deal with bad memories. The enemy loves that place to try to get us in a place of thinking about things that pull us away from that relationship. And then also, obviously, our consciousness, just our, our thoughts, who we are. And so the scripture will tell us that we cast down every vain imagination and argument that raises itself above the knowledge of God, right? That raises itself above the word of God. It's in that place where you can do that. You can't successfully cast down the vain imaginations that raise themselves if you're not taking time in the holy place. You just can't. The outer court, man, you'll go to heaven, but you'll go to heaven and add it. You'll go to heaven, but you'll go to heaven. You label the struggle that you have. Amen? But God wants to invite you. It's almost like the, 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 he gave them a picture of what it was like to go from Egypt to the promised land in that tabernacle. Because he brought them out of Egypt, out of the, into that outer court, if you will. And then he gives them this opportunity to grow. 40 years they're in that place of growing. And a lot of them chose to stay in the flesh. Oh, we see those giants, those, 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 those um, um, Canaanites, they look like giants to our eyes. Outer court, thinking. That's the flesh, right? 
Joshua and Caleb, man, these are some inner court type people. I'm not saying they went in the inner court. I'm just saying their, person, their mindset. Like, oh, we can take it. We are well able to overcome. They'd had their imaginations changed during that 40 years. The others didn't. And a lot of them didn't get into the promised land because of it. And so we cast down those imaginations. That happens in that place of the inner court. So what happens in the inner court, it speaks to our surrender. Remember our affections we talked about? That, that intuitive reason, a sense of affections. It speaks to our total surrender of our heart. That's like those affections of our soul, like those imaginations of our, of our might, you know? That's kind of like our reason, like, like I can or I can't do this. I have the ability or I don't have the ability. You're reasoning what you have to bear upon a situation and you discount yourself or you discount God's ability through you. You're reasoning and you're losing your might. It's in this place of the inner court that those things are starting to be worked out. In Deuteronomy, one of the most important scriptures in all of Jewish culture, it starts with what's called the Shema. I won't go into that, but Deuteronomy 6, after it talks about the affirmation of the Lord being one, God, over their life, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Amen? Not, you shall love the fact that God saved you with all of his sacrifice and ability. No, no, you should love the Lord in this inner place, in this holy place with all your heart, soul, and might. Go after an intimate relationship with God that brings true change. See, in the outer court we've been redeemed and the sinful nature of our flesh has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Now in the inner court, the holy place, we begin to rise above our emotions. In the holy place, we begin to rise above our feelings. In the holy place, we have precepts and concepts that are foreign to God. They're not, they're profane. Remember the profane and the, the, the clean and the unclean and the profane and the holy? That gets worked out in the holy place. And so we come into that holy place, that relationship with the Lord, and our precepts and concepts start to be changed. How many here, there were some things that you believed really strongly in that after a few years of salvation, you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that was the norm. Anybody? Yeah. I mean, that could be a lot of things. You know, I'm not going to go through a list of sin, but that could be a lot of things, you know? And you're just like, I cannot believe I had those thoughts. What, what? You're a new creature now, and you've matured, and you've grown, and you've developed. And, and I love it when people get aha moments on that journey. It's like, oh, I guess I should, probably shouldn't be doing that. Pastor Brantley always tells a story about a man who realized in tithing, he wanted to tithe, and he said, I can't give to the Lord because my budget won't allow it. And, and Brantley being Brantley, he was like, can I help you with your budget? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, because he had a pure heart, he wanted to, and the guy started looking at his budget, and he realized $200 a week he was giving, was it $200 a week or a month? A month. Yeah, $200 a month. $200 a month he was giving to buy marijuana. And he just goes, aha moment, ready? Because uh, he was, he was growing and maturing in the Lord. He was taking time in that holy place. And all of a sudden, in this holy moment, that, that, that reason, that thought, he goes, I'm robbing God for pot. <laughs> Boom, that guy had 50 bucks to give a week, just getting rid of pot, you know? But he didn't even think about it. He'd been coming to church probably a year at that point. It just wasn't even a thought in his head that, that this is standing in the way of the next thing that God's putting his finger on in my life, you know? 
Hmm. So this is the place where we begin to walk by faith, not by sight. And the thing is, it's a smaller place. You know, the whole tabernacle, you know, I think if I remember right, was 75 feet by 150 feet. Now you come down to a place that's 30 feet by 15 feet and 15 feet high. It's not, it's, it's smaller, it's intimate. He's drawing you in, all right? It was a place of spiritual fellowship with God, and the priest would enter that place daily. Uh, Now, that Holy of Holies that Corey will talk about next week, once a year, they would go in on the Day of Atonement, which was last last weekend, that Yom Kippur. They would go in. But here, they could do this daily. Remember, a daily walk it takes. So the furniture that's in this room, the table of showbread is the first piece of furniture. It was a gold overlaid bread board um, that, that this bread, these loaves were always on. And it symbolized feasting on the presence of God. But we understand Jesus is the bread of life from the New Testament. And so it's feasting on the presence of, of the Lord, but also upon the word of God. That's what this is a representation of. And showbread is kind of a weird name. That word showbread in the Hebrew, it is this. It means bread of the presence or bread of the face. Isn't that neat? And we all know bread is a main staple for life. Guess what? His face is a main staple for spiritual life. Not his hands, you know, because you can call God and say, God, give me, give me, give me, give me. You can do that out here. The flesh will be satisfied just getting from God. Amen. But when you start to go to the holy place, you're not satisfied with stuff. You want substance. You want, you want his face, not his hands. You want the presence of his face. Man. And then guess what? When stuff don't come, it's okay. Because you got him. Does that make sense? It's like I can stand not having this because I, I have, there's this relationship that is just so palpable, real, tangible. So it's the bread of his, of his face or the bread of his presence becomes that staple John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I'll give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. Now, that bread would sit over on the show, the show bread would sit over on the table, and then across the room from that, so that it would shine upon the whole room, the only light in that whole room was a golden lampstand. And that golden lampstand worked in tandem with the bread. You would not be able to see the bread without the light. So we know that Jesus is the light of the world, but we also know it's the Holy Spirit who comes and begins to illuminate our hearts to be convicted of sin, to be convicted of judgment, to be convicted of of eternity. It's the Holy Spirit that comes when we read the word that illuminates it so we can understand the word. And this candelabra, if you will, it's called a menorah, seven branches, you've seen the Jewish menorahs, it was made in such a way that oil flowed, and that oil is a representation of the Spirit of God, all right? Oil all throughout Scripture is a, a, it points to the Spirit of God. So it's is speaking both of the light of Christ, but the, the, the golden candlestick is also speaking of the direction that we receive in relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right? And again, some people are really satisfied with salvation, and that's it. They don't want to grow and understand the leading of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit, how he, how he, he leads and does things in our life. You know, this inner holy place is that place where we begin to learn those things. In Psalm 139, 23, 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Remember, this is the place of the imaginations. It's the soulish place. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, David's praying from a place of the inner court, the holy place. God, please help me with myself. Help me with my thoughts. Help me, search me. If there's anything within me, clean me. Take that away. Amen? And, but, but Ross, we were already cleaned out here. Yes, I understand functionally. But you know it without a doubt. You're, you, can, you, can, you can be clean and you're still struggling with the stuff. It's still trying to pull you back out into the flesh. It's still trying to pull you. This is that place where David was seeking God to change him. What I love about the candelabra is you had oil, but you also had wicks. And part of the priestly job was trimming those wicks, getting the soot off them, having a good clean edge so it would burn bright, and replace him, but taking care of the wicks. The wicks are literally a picture of us as believers. We are Christians. We are the wick of God standing between the oil, that's the Holy Spirit, and the light of Jesus. Like, like that light that shines forth. God, God works in our life. I love that there was something like that in the temple, just giving us a picture that's not all about God in the world. God wants priests, and he needs priests that are trimmed and burning. He needs priests that are dealing with the soot in their life. Like David praying, search me, cleanse me. And we're not the source of the light, But those wicks are essential if light is to be seen. Your life lived in fellowship with God is your greatest witness to a world in darkness. When we get to that place and we're concerned about being trimmed and and burning, we're concerned about the things in our life, you know, Lord, just deal with my thoughts, my, 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 my desires, my affections, those senses, those intuitive senses. Deal with those things, Lord. Man, when God begins to do that, it's better than you preaching to people. They see the light of God burning brightly in you and in your life. And so one of the things that separated Jesus, the Messiah, from all the others that, that claimed to be a Messiah was that literally the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit here in this, this part, the Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus. It's in this place that we can live where his Spirit rests upon us as well. Isaiah 11, 2, and the Spirit of the Lord rests upon Jesus, or upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, Right? The spirit of counsel and might. Remember, I liken might to reason. The spirit of knowledge and the fear or the reverence of God. That's about affection. That's about understanding. That, that's, that's in that soulless place. We have this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to, to dwell upon us. And I believe that doesn't happen when we're just satisfied in the outer court. That happens when we go after an intimate relationship with the Lord. It's in this place of daily communion with the Lord that he invites his presence, his Holy Spirit, to rest upon you. Amen? And we're almost finished. The Christian life isn't just one of personal growth, though. You know, this sounds like I'm talking about all personal growth. It's not just about personal growth. I do think that the, the, the table of showbread and, and the candle stand, lamp stand, I think they are pictures of our personal growth. But the next thing in the room, it's about the relationship that we have with God as a priest. So it's not just about our personal growth and benefit. It is also that relationship with, with, that we have with God as a priest. We stand between God and man in some ways. All right? So the altar of incense is the next thing, right in front of 
the veil that keeps you from the Holy of Holies was the altar of incense. Incense through scripture is always a symbol and a picture of prayer. They would light incense and they would offer prayer to the Lord. Intercessory prayer. Not just prayer for themselves, but prayer on behalf of others. So when the priest would burn the incense on that altar, he is going before God on behalf of the nation. All right? Just like us, when we are living in this place of intimate relationship with God and we're realizing, I have a, a responsibility as a priest to have this relationship. It's not just about me. No, no, I am there in such a way that as I walk in his presence, God, I'm walking there to pray and to seek you on behalf of others as well, to stand as a priest before the Lord. Now, because of Jesus, there's no veil that separates us from the Holy of Holies, but I love that at that time, it was prayer. It was intercessory prayer, not just prayer for themselves. It was doing something for others that was right before they would walk in to the place of the Holy of Holies that one time a year. I love that. You know the Christian faith is not about just what you get, amen? It's very much about what God does in and through us. And so this is a picture of that. We are to live to stand in the gap both in prayer and in action. And so when we're in this place and God begins to work in our lives, our relationship with God is established out here in that outer court But in the inner court, that holy place, that's where our fellowship with God is established and maintained. And that's where we embrace the word, that showbread. That's where we embrace the illuminating uh, light of God's presence, the Holy Spirit. That's where we start to do intercessory work of prayer and action. Do you know in that holy place, there was no place to sit. There was no chair. When you're in there, you you were ready for action. You were working, if you will, before the Lord. You were serving before the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord, the Bible says, he will renew their strength. That's not waiting. About time, God, come on. That's like waiting. Can I be at your service? What do you have, Lord? What's my marching orders? You know, out here I can be satisfied just being one of the, 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 the um, you know, um, one of the platoon, but I'm not ready to volunteer for anything, you know? I'm not really ready to take action. No, you're a priest. You, you've risen the ranks. You, you're in this place. You're saying, okay, God, what's my marching orders? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to serve you? How am I supposed to stand between the, the darkness that you've called me out of and stand between that and the marvelous light that you've called me into that others can see that light as well? Amen? You're a royal generation, a chosen priesthood. That's who you are, coming out of darkness and into marvelous light, not just for your benefit, but in this place, God starts to shape you that he can use you as a priest, as an intercessor, as someone that stands in the gap, amen? And so I just want, if that's something you desire, like literally, not just because I'm asking, but close your eyes and bow your heads for a second. If that's like, you're just like, man, I... I want to go deeper with God. I want to start in the outer court for a second. If you're here this morning, you've never come to salvation. You've never asked Jesus in your life. You haven't trusted him with your life. And you want to begin trusting him with your life. Guess what? When you say, I want to trust you with my life and I give you my life, his blood covers your sins. Like, you're a new creature. But if you're out here in the outer court and you haven't done that yet, man, it's a time today to do that. If you're here this morning and you want to trust Jesus with your life, I want you to raise your hand if you would in the room. Is there anybody today for the first time? All right. The rest of us, as we have a desire to go into a deepening, growing, intimate relationship with God, if that's you, I just want you to hold your hands, kind of that universal, you know, um, 
sign of receiving, you know, just kind of put your hands like this, and I just want to pray for you, you know, you can look and see what I'm doing, I'm just holding my hands, kind of cupped like a funnel, ready to receive from him. Father, you see my friends, Lord, as they make a decision, a priestly decision, to not be satisfied in the outer court, but to move toward your presence, God. Allow them to have a priority to take time daily in your word, to take time daily in prayer, to take time daily, Lord God, seeking your presence, your Holy Spirit. Allow them to have a commitment to you as you draw them into this deepening, intimate relationship with you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.